he did not want to shoot. Versus if you went back and you looked at the games in the Bahamas when we are playing Baja Blast Tech, he's letting those things fly. <laughs> Cal was the coach of, our, of at least my childhood. Uh, I mean, I was always a tubby guy. Um, I was a tubby kid growing up. Just take um, Muhammad Ali at, then, uh, at center. Then you have actually to played for Kentucky, Kentucky University of players. Kentucky. Oh, daggone it, guys. I did not prepare for this. Because they're both going to be key contributors to a national championship team. No, do not tell me to relax, Zach, because I'm all in on this squad, and it's going to happen. What is up, Big Blue Nation? Matt Zach BBN here, joined by my three Twitter best friends, 270 Bradley Smith. Big Blue Blood and Wildcat's Tongue, and we are up to no good. Bradley, um, we all see what's going on here, and it's quite hilarious to everyone watching. Do you want to explain to the listeners who cannot see you what your little situation is right now? I sure will. Uh, so as we've alluded to a couple of times on the podcast, uh, I'm starting a food truck, and uh, tomorrow's the big day. That's our, our launch, so we're getting a lot of stuff done. Uh, So rather than go back to my house where I have my normal podcast setup thing going, I'm in my parents' guest bathroom uh, recording this on my phone and because I still have some things to do here. Uh, So we're making the best of our situation. The only chair available is a toilet, and I think it's kind of freaking (laughs) one of the guys out, Uh, but I promise I'm not using said toilet uh only as a chair yeah i literally opened the zoom call and bradley is just sitting there on a toilet and i'm just like i need to know this story anyways buddy how are you doing on this fine thursday afternoon i am doing great i'm really tired but i have one question for bradley did, did you have mexican today as usual i did but that okay, is not good. the reason why i'm in my particular setup i i don't know it, it, i mean it's just there it's convenient you know it is I'm convenient you, I'm, I'm not i'm not saying after the podcast that might not be what's going on but but during <laughs> I, i'm i'm dedicated okay okay well, okay wt <laughs> we are one more week without the killer hornet having avenged itself how are you doing over there still alive and well i'm doing really well coming off a little bit of a cough so if i like go into a major coughing fit uh sorry listeners who use headphones in advance uh, but I'm doing really well because uh, uh, that we get to talk some ball and we get to talk some ball with one of my favorite Twitter follows. And that's uh, Brandon Ramsey, also known as at B Ramsey KSR. Uh, Brandon, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, guys. I uh, really appreciate you guys all having me on. Um, I've I've met, I think, all of you on the Arkansas trips. Was everybody there? Us. Bradley wasn't there. I wasn't Bradley there. wasn't there. Were you on the toilet for that trip? Too, or... okay. um, probably. Probably. All right. But, 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 yeah. but no, it, it, it's great to be here. I, I, I really respect what you guys do. I think you bring a really interesting side to the Kentucky social media following and the kind of the presence that we have. And I, I, I love what you guys do. You're all probably somewhat significantly younger than me. So in some ways I'm jealous of <laughs> – the lives you get to live, but um, yeah, I, I, I'm happy to be here and uh, happy to talk some some cast b-ball. Yeah, so Brandon, we're all big fans of you as well. That's why we had you on. Uh, I especially love your player breakdowns, your film breakdowns. I look forward to those after every single game that you posted. That was 
the reason I started following you, I saw, I think like WT retweeting them all the time. And I was like, this dude knows ball. Um, so what, what kind of got you into that side of basketball, the player breakdown? What is your background personally? How did you get into all of this? Yeah, so my, my background actually is as a college basketball coach. Um, I spent my first five years out of college um, as a college basketball coach. I worked at a Division three school in Northwest Ohio called Defiance College uh, for two years. We went to an NCAA tournament when I was there. Uh, we have a guy that's still, I mean, it's been eight years now. We have a guy that's still playing professional basketball from that team. Uh, went on and coached for three years at Wabash College. Um, the year after I left, they went to the Final Four. Uh, so take take that as you will. <laughs> um, but uh, so, yeah, I, I have, you know, some relatively um, legitimate experience as a college basketball coach, albeit at the Division three level. Um, but, you know, I, that's where I became very accustomed to breaking down film and, you know, kind of the scouting side of things that, you know, maybe your everyday layman on Twitter doesn't necessarily always have. Like, I, I can actually break things down from a coach's perspective, and I try to bring that sort of unique take to, to what I see on, on a daily basis because that's, you know, something that not necessarily everybody has um, as they're watching the Kentucky games. Yeah. So I hear that I hear that there's an opening in the Kentucky staff. Right? <laughs> I said you're my nomination, so you can uh, they're looking for a uh, film and a scouting guy, yeah. I appreciate that. It's something that I would I I, 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 would, I would I would obviously love to do that. I I think that I'm somewhat qualified, but I don't think I'm probably the most qualified person for that job and and in a lot of ways I mean I, obviously we're joking about it to begin with, but I feel like taking my craziness as a Kentucky fan and adding it to me having to be on the staff would be problematic <laughs> both for my own health and probably the team as well. So it, if I were to ever be in that role, I'd probably prefer it to be for somebody else as weird as that may seem. I mean, you can hop in there next year and join Riley Welsh in the uh, film room because uh, apparently that's uh, who does our film right now. So <laughs> that, that, I think that would be a great addition to the uh, Kentucky no, staff. Uh, uh, Oddly enough, and I, I don't really think this is any sort of breaking news, but like Riley Welch's dad is actually mm-hmm. a very possible addition to the staff. So, yeah, we could be getting a little double Welch coming to Lexington sometime soon. Scoop Ramsey on the podcast. Way to go! I think I think That's that has, has has started to make its rounds. I didn't know if we could put it on the podcast because. As we all know, we don't get inside scoop. But, yeah, Brandon, you say you don't know if you're qualified or not. I don't know if you can recruit on the level of a Chin or an Antigua, but I feel like just from what I've seen on Twitter alone, you have put more work in the film room than all of our assistant coaches combined from what I have heard. So I would personally nominate <laughs> you to be on the staff. I That that would be my pick. But you also, you work for KSR right now. Is that correct? Yes, yeah, I I um I, I work part time for Kentucky Sports Radio. I've actually done this since I was a sophomore in college, which for me, unlike probably some of you guys, my sophomore year of college was 2011. Um, so I I first joined as an intern in 2011. It was my yeah, like sophomore going into junior year. Did it. Did it for about two years, and then when I got into coaching, I obviously kind of had to stop. Um, pretty much, 
the day that I got out of coaching, I emailed Tyler Thompson and was like, hey, I'd love to, you know, I'm a Kentucky fan. I feel like I have some credentials now. Like I've been a college basketball coach for five years. Would you let me write again? And I pretty much started writing the next day and kind of grew it from there. But, but yeah, it's, it, it's been a lot of fun. I, I was a consumer of KSR before I worked for KSR. And I, I was a Kentucky fan long before I did this. So it's been a really neat experience getting to work with people that you know, I kind of looked up to and listened to and read over the years as I was growing up as a Kentucky fan. So we do love your film breakdown. I want to ask you about a specific, very polarizing player in the Kentucky basketball world right now. This is a player that WT, I feel like, for the most part, has been pretty high on. I started off super low on and have since came around, partially to some of the stuff you've been putting on Twitter. Buddy still strongly prefers Oscar to this person, doesn't want the other person on our team. And I think Bradley switches up every few days based on what's getting him the most <laughs> likes on Twitter, whatever seems to be the most popular opinion. <laughs> He's shameless about that. But Brandon, uh, Hunter Dickinson, if he were to come here, all the freshmen playing next to Aaron at the four, the three freshman guards, maybe a Reeves back, how does that all fit out? And how do you think that that could possibly be a good fit for Kentucky? Yeah, I mean, to me, that conversation starts with, at the end of the day, Hunter Dickinson is a All-American, which Oscar Sheehy admittedly is too. He's the National Player of the Year. Hunter Dickinson doesn't have one of those. But Hunter Dickinson is a guy that I think brings some skills to the table that Oscar simply doesn't bring. I think that there's really no great argument against Hunter being the semi-significantly better offensive player. He's a much more skilled back-to-the-basket five-man. He's much more capable and willing and comfortable to dribble it a few times and get into a post move. He can face up out to the three-point line. This is a guy that shot nearly 43% from three this year, albeit on low volume, but you know Oscar simply didn't shoot threes. Um, to me, the only thing you're giving up offensively is offensive rebounding. And, yes, you're, you're trading the best offensive rebounder, arguably, of the last, what, three decades, four decades, ever? I don't know. You're, you're trading one of the best offensive rebounders of all time for a above-average rebounder, but not Oscar Chibwe. But but to me, in every other way, you are upgrading. And then the, the common criticism is on the defensive end, for both of these guys, you know, Oscar Sheboy is not a very good defender. He struggled in the ball screens. He doesn't protect the rim. Hunter Dickinson struggles in the ball screens. He's a little plodding. He's 7-1. He's a bigger dude. But to me, the point is, if you're going to have two bad defenders, I would rather my bad defender be 7-1 than 6-9. Because we still see Hunter Dickinson over the course of three years in high major college basketball blocking, I think, like 1.4, 1.5, and 1.8 blocks per game which Oscar hasn't necessarily approached those numbers so I do think that really on both sides of the ball there's a lot of things that you know would kind of be a check in the Hunter Dickinson category Oscar to me brings the offensive rebounding and he brings the fact that he's been here but if the question is which would I rather have give me Hunter Dickinson tomorrow I do have a kind of like I'm probably on uh, the pro dick side of things. Um, but 
whenever we're talking Hunter Dickinson and Oscar, I see Oscar as like the ultimate role player where we, we asked him to do a little bit too much in this time here because we didn't have the offensive threats that we thought. Um, but at the end of the day, he, his, he plays his role to perfection where he rebounds, um, maybe creates a little bit of havoc with some steals. Um, Hunter is more of a ball dominant sort of guy, or at least in the little bit of Michigan film that I've seen. Um, do you think, so like, one thing I think Kentucky has fallen victim to in the past is they have a ton of talent, but not a ton of roster fit where you have all these guys that need the ball in their hands to be impactful. Do you think that that could be an issue if we were to bring a guy like Hunter Dickinson in uh, who sort of needs the ball in his hands at times to make an impact on offense? Yeah, it, it's certainly a worry because as you said, Hunter Dickinson is a guy that he's going to score the ball by having the ball in his hands. Oscar Shibley was a guy that we didn't necessarily throw it to a ton in the post. Like, he, he got his higher usage simply by dominating the offensive glass and such a high rate. Like, you know, it, it, it's unlike numbers we've seen in modern times. So he was able to get his production in such a unique way, whereas Hunter Dickinson gets it more in a traditional way of throwing the ball into the post, you know, stepping away from the basket and catching it on a pick and pop, those sort of things. So to that point, yes, I do think that the ball dominance of Hunter Dickinson, especially when you're bringing in these elite five-star guards, is a little bit of a worry. However, when you when you really dive into the film, as I feel like I have, I see a lot of the ball movement capabilities through Hunter Dickinson. Like He's really good in handoff action out on the perimeter. He's a ball mover. He gets into screens very well. I think he's a better screener than Oscar Chibwaya ever became. Um, and, and obviously, when you add his ability to roll to the basket at 7-1 with his relatively solid three-point shooting capability and certainly mid-range capability that equals or exceeds Oscars, I think that there's just a lot more there that, yes, he's going to have the ball in his hands more, but I think the ball still moves more through Hunter Dickinson than it maybe did through Oscar Sheeblay simply because he's more comfortable with it than Oscar ever became. I hear you there, and I, I agree with that. My only concern is we've seen a guy like Antonio Reeves who plays off the ball and looks horrible, and all of a sudden you put him in pick and rolls, you put the ball in his hands, and he looks really good. It's sounding like he's going to be back. I think Robert Dillingham is very similar. He's not going to be a guy where you're going to just be running him around screens. He's a guy that's going to need the ball. He's going to need to dance with it a little bit. Do you think these ball-dominant guards could fit in with while – a ball dominant center, no matter how much the ball is moving, do you think it can move enough to get everyone involved in their strengths? I think that's the million dollar question because, as you said, we're going to have, I mean, if for the sake of conversation, Hunter Dickinson is a Kentucky Wildcat next year, we're going to have probably at least four guys who are at their best with the ball in their hands. DJ Wagner is going to be at his best with the ball in his hands. Antonio Reeves is going to be at his best with the ball in his hands. Rob Dillingham will be at his best with the ball in his hands. Same with Hunter Dickinson. And especially when, you know, three of those guys are on the perimeter, one's in the post, it makes it even a little bit. Like, there's always so many dribbles, so many shots that can go around for all these guys. And, yes, not only can that cause some internal unrest, but it obviously can also just be tough to, to find a offensive scheme here that fits what we're talking about. But to me – and this is probably a 
different conversation for a different time to some extent. But like to me, those are issues that as a coach, you have to figure out. Like I I would never want to be in the business of turning down elite players so that the pieces fit better. Like to me, your job as the coach is to give me all the pieces that I can get and then let me fit our guys best. And I think through some ball screen offense and different things, there are ways that teams play with this amount of talent, both in the post and out on the perimeter, that it can fit. But yeah, it, it, it does become more difficult anytime you have this many guys who are probably going into the year saying, I'm the man. I think that uh, kind of the crux of this conversation that makes it uh, not as productive as we want it to be is like on a podcast, it's really easy for us to say like, we would rather have this guy than this guy. Um, But the reality of it, I mean, the coaching staff knows more than us, but they have to take not just the best available, but the first available between these two guys. If you go and tell Hunter Dickinson, like, Hey, we want you, but like, we're not going to go all out. We're not going to do all this stuff. Um, We're not going to throw NIL money at you. Uh, because we think we're going to get Oscar back and then Oscar does whatever he does and maybe he doesn't come back. Then you have uh, uh, Ugo and Lance as your starting and backup center, um, which I love Ugo and I love Lance, but that's not a championship roster in my opinion. So um, I think when we're talking about who we prefer, yeah, we can get into the X's and O's and what's the best fit and who's the best player. Uh, but when we're getting into the coaching staff making decisions, you have to go after both guys full force and take whoever is willing to commit back to next year um, first. Yeah, and one of the reasons I'm also coming around to Hunter, I agree with you, WT, we got to take who's best available. Um, one of the reasons I'm coming around to Hunter is because, Brandon, you've shown a lot of how effective Hunter could be in pick and pop. And we've tried that with Oscar last year. He just kind of has a funkier looking jump shot, you know? Um, and his goes out to 16 feet where Hunter's goes out to 23. I wonder like, cause not only does the roster have to fit, but you have to give a pitch to Hunter that sounds attractive to him. Like you need to get him to Kentucky. You can't just say, all right, this is what we need you to do. He has options. He could pretty much play however he wants. I'm sure Georgetown would let him play however he wants. Um, or Maryland, for example, (laughs) I feel like if you can get Hunter on campus at Kentucky, throw him in the Brady Welsh lab, maybe get him in a little bit better of shape, make him a competent defender, and you use him in pick and pops, that I could see how that translates to the NBA. I I could also see how that translates to the strengths of a Rob Dillingham, a DJ Wagner, and uh, Antonio Reeves. If you're running pick and roll with these guys and you have these athletes crashing to the basket and can beat their man off the dribble, and then you have a seven-foot-one guy kicking out that can knock down threes, I think that is personally a great fit, and that that's a lot of things I've seen in your field, Brandon. Do you think that um, that's something that Hunter would say, yeah, I'm down to sign up for that? Or do you think him saying, Ugh, you know, being just a spot-up shooter, that that's not really the role I'm looking for? What do you think? To me, it goes down to how much does Hunter Dickinson trust what Coach Cal is telling him? Because – in my opinion, if I was the one sitting in the room, I would tell Hunter Dickinson, my idea for you next year is to triple your three-point attempts. Because, like, one of the things I always – it's half tongue-in-cheek, but not really. Like, in my opinion, if you shoot 43% from three, you didn't shoot enough threes. Like, you, like, you, you, aren't, like, you really shouldn't be that high a percentage. 
if you're that high a percentage, that means you probably should be shooting more and therefore getting a higher volume and maybe a lower percentage. Like, I, I forget the number off the top of my head of what Hunter Dickinson shot. It wasn't a ton of threes. We're talking like one and a half a game, maybe. So, like, I would be looking for him to shoot three threes a game next year in a perfect world. But, you know, we've had guys where we kind of talk about this. And, and this is where, you know, I, I'm a Coach Cal defender. I think, you know, Matt Jones calls me that on the radio even. And when, like, it's not even necessarily who I am. But, like, it is like I, I do defend him a lot of times just because I come at it from a different perspective. But we have heard of, like, this guy's going to be this, this guy's going to be that. Doesn't It's not always what we see on the floor. So does Hunter Dickinson believe, hey, like, we want you to pick and pop. Well, is that actually what he's going to end up being? And if not, he might go somewhere else where he's going to have a lot more freedom. But, no, I – I think we need him to be that pick and pop guy. I think he's good enough to be that pick and pop guy while still being seven one on the roll and being able to, you know, catch it above the defense and finish and different things like that. So I, I do think that there is a system that you can run where he is one of the perfect fits for what we want to be. Now it's going to involve everybody probably taking a little bit of a sacrifice, but that right there, I think is what coach Cal probably is the best at in the country and we have seen that in, you know, the, the best Kentucky teams are teams that are overloaded with talent that he gets to buy into smaller than you would expect roles. We're seeing it in the NBA playoffs right now. Like, all these guys who were, you know, I mean, here in Foxville League Monk, these guys were stars in Kentucky. But there's other guys that, you know, Devin Booker, Shea with Alexander. Like, Shea Gilles Alexander averaged 30 points in the NBA this year. Like, you know, he was coming off the bench for half the Kentucky season. So, you know, I, I think his strength is give me all of the talent in the world and I will figure out how to use them. And what he hasn't necessarily had in years past is the world's best talent. And I think we have a chance to have the world's best talent this year, and that's where we see his skills succeed. Yeah, if I'm John Calipari, my pitch to Hunter Dickinson is you get to have a real coach instead of Jawan Howard. That's my pitch. <laughs> Jawan Howard cannot coach. Yeah, well, he gets to he gets to go from one coach that uh, can't coach to a guy who apparently doesn't know how to run an offense. So it'll be fun. Maybe it's just Hunter Dickinson's type. I'm joking. I'm a Cal <laughs> defender too. He's not competing with Jawan Howard though. He's competing with you know Bill Self and like I don't even know who's the coach at Georgetown right now. Anybody know? Um, Incredible. No one does. All right. Didn't our friend from Providence <laughs> just go there, Ed Cooley? Yeah, yeah, Ed Cooley. No. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, Cooley took over for Patrick Evans. Well, we just beat the snot out of him, so that one shouldn't be hard. But but it, it would be impressive, and it, it is impressive, that like we're in the fight for this, like given all of these things with the, that we've mentioned before, just like – there's a, an Oscar Sheboy that's just kind of like hanging around. And that's one thing. And like Kentucky's not in the business of making NIL promises or deals, um, you know, with, with anybody, you know, we're not going to promise you a number. And then there's also all of this talent and all these other high usage guys that are around. And then like just all these things that are going on and all these things that are, that are happening that like, we're still competing like in this recruitment, like how is Cal convincing Hunter to come if he does come. Uh, I mean, that's an impressive recruitment, in my opinion. 
I agree. And it feels like one that we haven't been able to pull off in years past, which makes me think that this whole situation is too good to be true. Like, <laughs> think about it. We're in the state of Kentucky basketball where we've had to deal with, um, like, oh, do we get Jalen Duran or Kofi Coburn? And then we get neither. Do we get Derek Lively or Adem Bona as our freshman center? And then we get neither. It's like, oh. Uh, do we get like Sky Clark or Nick Smith Jr. or Shane Sharp when we get needed? You know what I'm talking about? So just living in this world where it's like, oh, we have two great guys and we need one of them. It feels like, okay, can Cal finally pull it off? And can we get one just once? Can can we just do it once? I have faith in Cal. I need it to be done. The whole backcourt is going to be insane. I personally think Oscar is a little bit better of a fit just all around. But offensively, Brandon, I tend to agree with you a little bit. Um, but yeah, we just need one, please. I just thought it was funny how you mentioned uh, Shaden Sharp, Nick Smith Jr., and Sky Clark in the same. <laughs> yeah, that's in the... <laughs> that, those are that's some elite didn't company. Didn't cut you off. I just wanted to point that out. <laughs> Brandon, speaking of the center position, I saw a little post that you put. I believe it was on KSR Plus, uh, the message board or KS board. Um, you did a little piece on. Ugana Onyenzo on what he could bring on a sophomore year. This, I think, is maybe the biggest question mark on the whole roster. This is a guy that Cal said could be one of the best centers on uh, in the country, but is Cal just saying that because he wants him back? Ugo's a guy who, what, played 30 minutes total last season, um, didn't really have a single point against a meaningful opponent. Incredible upside in the defensive end, but I think this could be an X factor, a guy that could be an absolute defensive anchor, which we haven't seen in so many years, and also a guy that could be a non-contributor again. Uh, Brandon, what have you been seeing in your film breakdown of year one of Yugan Anyenzo, and what do you think he could be in year two? Yeah, I think that uh, there is certainly a a dichotomy in the opinions of what Yugan Anyenzo can be next year. I admittedly probably fall on the lower end of that spectrum of what I'm expecting. Um, just because the development aspect, like there, there's a lot to develop if, if that's what we're hoping for here. You know, like in terms of being physically ready to play in the SEC at the five, there's a long way to go. We're talking about a 6'11 guy that, you know, probably weighs 220 pounds soaking wet. And, you know, it, it it's going to be a real, and, and he's so long too, like, his center of gravity is so high. Like we're watching him, and this is part of my my film breakdown, which you can find on the free KSR site, by the way. Um, I just had a couple extra notes there on the KSR Plus board, but um, in that breakdown, like you know, as you said, he only played what one game, I think, in the last like sixteen, and that was like three minutes against whoever. And a lot of the film that you're breaking down is against North Florida. South Carolina State, you know, whoever the heck else we played in those games. And he's getting pushed around by 6'8", 230-pound, you know, low major Division One players. And he's, like, you know, missing jump hooks because he's getting pushed off the block. He's turning the ball over because he's getting pushed off of his spot around the basket. And those are the sort of things that simply can't happen if you want to play – real SEC basketball. Now, what he does bring to the table that's undeniable is elite rim protection. Like, he's a very good shot blocker. He has really, really good tools and instincts in terms of his timing 
the way that he attacks the ball when it goes into the air. Offensively, he can roll and dunk it on the lob. And, and, and you know, some of the concerns that we're talking about with Hunter Dickinson of, you know, is it too many cooks in the kitchen? Are there not enough shots to go around all these guys? Well, you got an Indian, so it doesn't really need any shots. He just needs throw the ball up to me and I'm going to dunk it two to three times a game. And then maybe offensive rebound one more for a dunk. And speaking of offensive rebounding, one of the things that I wouldn't have known this until I wrote the article, like his offensive rebounding percentage, albeit in a very low, um, a, a very low volume against lower competition, his offensive rebounding percentage was eerily similar to Oscar Seaway's. So, like, it, it gives you a little bit of hope that there's something there in terms of his ability to rebound. And we'll, we'll, we'll see how that part develops. And to me, it's all about how strong he can get. And his ceiling will be determined on the offensive end. But I think his floor as a rebounder, as a lob threat, as a rim protector, there's no denying that floor. And to me, that floor is a 10 to 12 to 15 minute backup five man. I mean, when we took Ugo last summer, across the fan base, we were like, this is the type of stuff we want the coaching staff to be doing. Getting guys into the program early, developing them, getting them ready for the next year. That That's exactly what we wanted. We had a little bit of a scare there when he decided to kind of test the NIL portal a little bit. Um, but he he's back, and this is exactly what we want. Um, no one's going to claim that he's the next Anthony Davis or anything like that, but uh and Bradley's saying he will good for you um uh but having a guy in the program for two years he spent a year going against the uh defending national player of the year in practice um I, I really like that we're getting this sort of continuity in the front court obviously didn't get the minutes that we wanted him to get uh but he's going to be a very serviceable guy whether he's getting uh, 10 minutes a game behind uh, Hunter or Oscar or whether he's getting a more significant role some way or somehow. Um, I really like uh, Ugo on this roster. I think that he can develop into something that's really special. Uh, it's really just up to the coaching staff to unlock that potential that we can all see. Last episode, we played a little game of bench or start bench cut. And Bradley, you had started Ugana Onyenzo over both Hunter Dickinson <laughs> and Oscar Shibway. Have you since switched up like I have noted that sometimes you do? Or are you still on that train? No, I'm still on that train. I, I've I've been on the train that I've been on for a long time. He wears number 33. They look they look very similar physically, not in the face, but physique. His hands are huge. He doesn't miss that kind of mid-range jumper in warm-ups. Ugo is literally Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and I am not backing off. <laughs> I'm not backing off of that. Is he? Is he Lou Alcindor, the college version? He's both of them put together. He's <laughs> let, let me have my let me have my one Scott Clark take. Let me have let me have some you know, please. I will say with uh with Ugo, if he learns that he's seven feet tall, and if he learns how to do that thing where you push with both of your legs and enter the air um at the same time, uh jumping as the common man might call it, then he unlocks a lot of things. Uh but a lot of times last season he would get a ball like right next to the basket and he would jump maybe two inches off the floor with like maybe a six foot five guy around him. And he would miss a little bunny or he would not get a rebound because he didn't know how to jump or he wouldn't dunk it because he felt scared or something like that. But if he learns how to jump in traffic a little bit, 
uh, that that really helps out uh, what he can bring to the floor. I still personally think that Ugo and Aaron would be a phenomenal backcourt. I just think those are maybe the two biggest question marks. It's what what can Ugo be? Is he another? Is he one year away where he needs another year? Like junior Nick Richards, you know, he needed a third year. He wasn't quite there year two. He gave us some shot blocking off the bench, but that was it. Um, or can Ugo be one of the best centers in college basketball? Like John Calipari thinks he could be. Aaron Bradshaw, I've seen people said he's the first big man off the board in this upcoming year draft. He's the number two, number three player in lots of different uh, ranking services. He could also be a guy where it's like there's no precedent of a player like Aaron Bradshaw succeeding in John Calipari's offense. A guy that is seven foot tall but wants to be super skilled. Anthony Davis is the only successful story of that. Like you have your Scalabissiers, your Sasha Kalea Joneses, which don't really quite work out. The first two year of Nick Richards. What, who am I missing, WT? I would, I mean, obviously the team was god awful, but Olivier Saar had a little bit of success playing on the perimeter. I wouldn't call him a skilled guy at all. But if we're throwing in like Sasha Kalea Jones into this, I mean, Olivier Saar had some good moments in what was a dumpster fire of a season. So, um, well, he also played but, the five. We didn't try like Olivier Saar at the four. Is my point. So, if, like, that's there's true. not a lot of precedent of those two guys together. So, I think you almost need a Hunter Dickinson or an Oscar Sheway just to raise your floor to know that you're just going to have an All American at at least one of the two spots, and you hope one of the other guys is good. We also had some very big news. Damian Collins entered the transfer portal, kind of expected. We expect him to go closer back to home. I was hoping Damian Collins might come back to play the four a little bit, but he has to do his best for himself. CJ Frederick also heading to Cincy. I thought he could play the three a little bit, and he's not here. Even with those two guys being here, I was kind of under the impression I still kind of want to see a guy that's like a 3-4 hybrid, a guy that can play a stretch four, just because, again, I think we need to raise the floor at the four position a little bit. With Damian Collins and CJ Frederick gone, I think we absolutely need one more guy. We cannot be one short, and I think the one short right now would be a guy that could play the four in a more traditional four than, I guess, what Aaron Bradshaw is going to bring, a guy with the higher floor. What do y'all think? I think this is essential. I don't think this is a luxury. I think this is a need for a roster. What do y'all think? Well, it's funny that you should mention it, Matt, because there's been some scuttlebutt on the old Twitter (laughs) afternoon that an individual by the name of Grant Nelson might just happen to enter the transfer portal. Grant Nelson is somebody who is 6'9 to 6'10", can score, can do everything very well if it's true that he does, in fact, enter the portal. Tamper, cheat. I don't care what you have to do. (laughs) Get him in a Kentucky uniform. I don't care what you have to do. Do it. Bradley, Bradley, my only thing is, at the four position, I'd rather raise the floor i get that this guy might have the highest ceiling he can knock down threes he's yamming on people but if we already have an aaron bradshaw who probably even has a higher ceiling than than what's his name grant grant nelson grant nelson i i think the potential of aaron bradshaw is even higher than grant nelson wouldn't you rather just have a safer option than a guy that's been playing in the summit conference no 
because Grant Nelson is literally if Giannis was from Iowa. I mean, like he's <laughs> <laughs> he is as good of a player as you will ever get from the portal, ever. Wow. He's the Iowa freak. Is that what he is? (laughs) (laughs) We're even in South Dakota State. We need to come up with a good nickname for him. Here's the thing. I don't know if we on hand, like these nicknames or whatever. Like that wasn't like a planned setup. That was just like you just had that in the belt. (laughs) Yeah, I did. The thing I, I would really love Nelson on our team. I don't know if we have the pitch for him. Like at this point, you can't really get top guys because every single position has a we're we have filled the position at the starter level. We have one through five across the board, assuming we get Hunter or Oscar. But it's those kind of bench guys that Antonio Reeves, what he was supposed to be, the Davion Mintz, what he was supposed to be, Nate Sestina, what he was supposed to be. Um, that's the kind of guy you're going to need to get from the portal right now. Someone who comes in understanding that he's a sixth man, understanding that he's going to be coming off the bench or providing a little bit of depth at a position. Uh, and I don't see Grant Nelson, uh, 19 points a game, uh, ball dominant guy, uh, agreeing to something like that. Now I could be wrong, but I, I, I would love him on the team. I don't think it's happening. Well, no, and I, I agree WT. And I think this is where it gets tricky because I think what we're looking for is like a three and D guy. And in the NBA, right. those guys grow on trees, like a Dylan Brooks, a Jay Crowder, Mikel Bridges, you know, a guy that could defend two through four, but also knock down threes. They're very common in the NBA. Almost every team has one to two of them. But you go to college basketball, and especially you're looking at like a transfer from the mid-major level or a high major sixth to seventh man is what we're looking for. Those type of guys are either going to be good shooters or they're going to be good defenders. We've seen with like Antonio Reeves and CJ Frederick, you can usually only do one. It's like <laughs> a, a very, very rare thing that guys can do both at the college level. So it is tricky finding that perfect fit. Um, but I, I do think our roster needs it. I do not think we could be one short here. Here's our pitch. Hey, Grant Nelson, have you ever wanted to own a horse? No. Have you ever wanted to own an entire horse farm? No. How would you like your name to be on Keeneland? Keeneland presented by Grant Nelson. How about that? How does that sound? Everybody wants to rename Rupp Arena. Let's rename it Grant Nelson Arena. I don't care. Get him here. At this point, Bradley... You have to take over as director of recruiting at uh, for Kentucky basketball because these ideas would get the top talent. I think LeBron would commit to Kentucky tomorrow if uh, you were pitching this kind of stuff to him. Hey, TJ Beisner, give me a call. I'm I'm open to suggestions. <laughs> if we have if we have Brandon Ramsey in the film room and Bradley Smith on the recruiting trail, we might hang up like the nine, tenth, and eleventh banner three years in a row i am so confident that it would happen it'd be Maybe, an elite staff we didn't let's do we it. didn't really plan a fun thing for this week but let's do that if, if all five of us had a role on kentucky staff okay <laughs> what's the most realistic role for that oh my god <laughs> so bradley's absolutely like recruiter especially in the portal mr portal knower bradley yeah. is chin coleman <laughs> he's also gonna be in the most swaggy suits every single game that's bradley <laughs> He's going to wear our opponent's colors every single day. <laughs> I'm so uh, 
completely unqualified for any position. I, I'm professional data analysts. Does that skill apply in any way? Oh, yeah. Yes. Do a little bit of uh, statistical analytics. I'll take social yeah. media manager all day. Oh, okay. Just oh. sit well, there. I have a bigger it. following than you. So. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I am the greatest. So I'm just going to be our head coach. And oh, okay. I'm just going to manage all the lineups and yell at kids and get the best out of them. So I'm our head coach. Go! Buddy, yeah, I'm, I could yell go so well. Um, I will play the most fun lineups of all time. I will never play Aaron Bradshaw at the three. You do not have to worry about that. And we will have the two-guard sack guarantee, where at least two guards will be on the floor at all times. Um, not always a guarantee under our, our current man, John Calipari. I love you, John. I'm just kidding. Um, WT, you're our social media man. Bradley, you're on the recruiting trail. Brandon Ramsey, you're in the film room. And Buddy, you're our analytics guy. We're definitely hanging up number nine. Whenever John decides to call it and go to Texas or go just be rich for the rest of his life, I think well, we, we know. Done. We know John Calipari, friend of the show, is definitely listening. So um, I think he hears yes. this. I think he knows that uh, we are qualified. Uh, if you need a resume for like the formality of it, like we can <laughs> get that to you. Did I tell you I actually applied for the assistant coach vacancy? I submitted a resume actually? application. Yeah. So here's the thing. I am not very qualified, but I'm also not disqualified. They ask, do you have coaching experience? Do you have any basketball experience? Do you have any recruiting experience? And I had to say no for all of those. But they also asked, <laughs> do you have any NCAA violations? Have you ever committed a felony? I didn't do any of those things. So I'm... Not disqualified, so we'll see. We'll see. I'm and my name's at least in there. It's funny, Zach, that, that you felt like that because when I looked at it, like you know, I I have applied for a couple of Division One jobs over the course of my life and never gotten them, obviously. But I, I was kind of laughing at the fact that, like, even I, like, you know, I only coached for five years at Division Three level. I essentially fit every qualification that they had. Like, the, 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 I felt like the bar was so low. <laughs> and I, I understand, like, especially in a place like Kentucky, like, and you, you guys probably all know this, but maybe some of the listeners don't, like, nobody gets these jobs by applying for them. Like, yeah. right. nobody, like, like, you, you, like, Coach Cal is not sitting there on a Thursday night with Ellen, like, looking through resumes. And deciding, like, oh wow, like this guy coached at Florida. Like, let's take a look at him. Like, no, like the the reason they posted the job was probably because they already knew who they were going to hire. And it's a public university; it has to be out there for two weeks. That's literally that's a federal law. So, I I probably shouldn't say federal law. It's a law of some kind. I don't. <laughs> <federal>. <laughs> but, <laughs> let's roll with it. And but it's definitely some sort of a law that public universities have to have jobs posted in public for a few weeks. And, but like nobody that applied for the job is going to get the job. People that didn't apply for the job that already talked to Coach Cal on the phone. And like, those are the people that are up for the job. So, but, but, but yes, in a vacuum, it was really funny. I thought some of the qualifications of like lifting 50 pounds and being able to push and pull things. And, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a little fun. <laughs> I, I love that. I don't know how many times that we have referenced like 
Did you guys see that Brandon Ramsey breakdown or that Brandon Ramsey tweet? Like we've referenced you at least like half a dozen times on this podcast. And now you're here explaining the intricacies of like law, the law, like law. <laughs> it's just a, it's a funny little world. Uh, I, I am not a lawyer. So let's go ahead and get that out there. Don't show me, me, me for legal device, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, well, I, I certainly appreciate your guys' support. It's always been fun following you all as well. And I enjoyed um, the discourse on Twitter and everything for sure. Brandon, I, I, got, I got one more. Oh, go ahead, WT. I'll say I'm going to bring uh, kind of both of our uh, qualifications of coaching kind of uh, into question a little bit. Um, there is a t- uh, exchange that we had that uh, uh, in December, uh, t- December 21st, 2022, during the Florida A&M game. I received- and this was kind of seared into my mind because of how wrong we both were. Uh, I tweeted out, uh, because th- this is when we were like sing- single digit game in the second half against Florida A&M. I was like, I am not, w- I said, quote, I am not that worried about defense playing brand new lineup combos, FAMU shooting more than twice their typical three-point percentage, even on contested looks. We have shown elite defense in previous games. <laughs> and then you replied with that. I didn't even add you. You, you oh, found no. us and replied. Oh, no. Thank you. Totally agree. <laughs> we have plenty of things we can worry about if we so choose. Defense would be very low on that list. <laughs> well, we, so we, can't we know ball right clearly. <laughs> we can't all Ken be right failed us. We yeah. were a top five defense for like two months in Ken Pong. <laughs> if I can be allowed to throw my coaching expertise in there, I coached a second and third grade basketball team this past winter. And my strategy then was get the tall kid and give him the ball. Uh, so maybe we can do that and try that. <laughs> I remember you my analysis. I remember my analysis after the uh, Florida A&M game was that Casey Wallace should be our point guard, and I was right there. So good thing I'm at the helm as our head coach, making those executive decisions because I'm head coach. Sex. Unlike y'all, I'm batting a thousand. Brandon, I have one more question that I, I want, and every time I ask someone else this, they have a different answer. Um, Adu Thiero, this is a guy that probably himself wants to be a guard, whether it be the lead guard or a combo guard at the one to two. I talked about us needing a three, four. I could see a do Thiero at six, 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 seven being that versatile guy that allows you to play Justin Edwards as a stretch four, or you can go super small ball and even move a do to the four. In some scenarios, he could switch one through four on defense. I don't love him on the ball based on what we've seen, but I do like his potential to be a spot up shooter, especially like at a stretch four. Like, I don't think, traditional college fours are guarding him out on the perimeter um love a lot of what he can do is this a guy kind of like ugo can you see him taking a big jump into year two or is this a guy where you think all right maybe one more year of him kind of grinding out on the bench especially behind this loaded backcourt yeah i again I mean, it, to me the adu fiero experience is very similar to the you experience in terms of like what you feel like we get out of him, I think it's going to be based on expectation. Like, if you expect him to make this gigantic leap and become a, you know, NBA draft potential guy or, you know, become a guy that's like, you know, playing 25 minutes a game, do I think that's going to happen? Probably not. Do I think he could be 
honestly, exactly what you said, Matt. It's like being a bigger guard who can switch to the three or the four, slide to the three and the four, be switchable defensively, and at the three or the four, his skills are better than they are at the one or the two. Like, he was kind of thrust into some situations this year that he honestly did pretty well in, but they didn't necessarily fit his skill set perfectly. Like, he's still not super comfortable dribbling the ball against pressure, I don't feel like. Like, he struggles and turns it over some when he – and we saw it against Arkansas a little bit. Like, he was turning the ball over when they came out and got him. But he's a pretty darn good rebounder for a wing. Like, when – I feel like a pretty large percentage of his points this year came on, like, slashing to the basket and slaying it up or dunking it on the offensive rebound. He, you know, he's a good driver and slasher. Defensively, he can get some things done. Um, so if the expectations are spot minutes off the bench, you know, does that translate to four minutes a game, eight minutes a game, 12 minutes a game? Probably too soon to tell right now until we know exactly what we're getting from the other guys. But but do I think he can play a role on this team? Absolutely, especially if we don't go to the portal to kind of find the better version of a new Fierro and let him develop for another year, then I think, yeah, I, I don't think that we'll be terrible by throwing him out there for that kind of two, three, four hybrid role, uh, you know, depending on the game, depending on foul trouble, depending on injuries. I think he's the perfect kind of Swiss Army knife, maybe 10th man. Like, if he's your 10th guy, I think you're probably pretty darn good. If you're If you're wanting him to be your seventh guy, you might be in a little bit of trouble, but if you can slide him down the rotation a little bit, just, just as I'm trying to do with Yugana Onyento, honestly, like if, if those are like your ninth and tenth guys as backup five, fourth or fifth guard wing, I think you're pretty darn good. I do want to share, like I'm the president of the Aduthiero fan club, in case you didn't know there, Brandon. Um, I, I really see his role uh, on next season as – I mean this in the nicest way possible because I'm the biggest Lance Ware fan, but as kind of the guard version of a Lance Ware where he comes in and is an absolute dog. Uh, and the reason why I say that is because of two stats that I that uh, I find very interesting. Number one, his free throw rate. Uh, he is the only player in the Calipari era with a free throw rate above one. What free throw rate is, is they take uh, your free throw attempts over your field goal attempts. So he has more free throw attempts on the season than he had field goal attempts, which I think is the funniest thing ever. He will drive to reckless abandon, get fouled, go to the free throw line. I think that's awesome. Uh, the second stat is even more important because it's the stat that I made up. Um, he is the second biggest dog of the Calipari era, period. Like it goes boogie cousins, a big gap, and then a the arrow. And I think that's the craziest thing because like that that's all he is if he is nothing he is at least a dog on the court and i think that's really valuable for uh, a team with a bunch of freshmen a bunch of guys that are more finesse players you get a guy and i'm not saying that those guys aren't dogs like dj dog <laughs> like aaron bradshaw dog but uh getting a guy who is not afraid to like get a little rougher go and get some rebounds from the wing uh that could be a really valuable piece to play spot minutes here and there I think if we have a lineup of literally anyone at the point guard and 6'6", Thiero at the two, and 6'7", Justin Edwards at the three, and 7'1", Aaron Bradshaw at the four, and 7'1", Ugana Nienzo at the five, the other team's not scoring very much. 
I'm not sure how much we are scoring on the other side of the ball, but that's a different conversation. Uh, if that's our lineup, we might like win games 51 to 50. But I think for stretches, just having that much height and athleticism, that could create a lot of turnovers, fast breaks. I think it could be interesting to see stretches like that. But I kind of also th- see the need for the three to the four. If Adu wants to be that Lance Ware that just as a dog plays every once in a while, maybe spot minutes every other game when there's foul trouble, yeah, it, he might only get to play the one or two or for a few minutes. But if he's willing to venture out his role and play the three or the four, I think he could find himself in an expanded role and more playing time. And a guy that hasn't gotten a lot of playing time, maybe he's willing to do that. Yeah, one thing I would, if you don't mind, I'd like to kind of throw in there is kind of off of what you said, Zach, that you know, of that super big lineup that we're kind of, you know, hypothesizing of Adu Fierro at two and, you know, Justin Edwards and Bradshaw and Dickinson or, or Yugata, whoever, I guess. Like, yes, that kind of flies in the face of some of what a lot of us are wanting. Like, you know, we're all wanting, you know, the 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 Golden State Warriors, you know, let's shoot more threes. Let's cut out the mid-range jumpers. Let's be more, quote-unquote, modern offensively. I want those things too, but what I want more than anything, and this is something I've been pretty vocal about, that to me is the, the bigger point that I think some people are missing. I want an identity back. And I think that maybe it's not the perfect identity to be, you know, this big shot blocking, you know, defensive minded team, but like, let's do that over what we've been the last few years where to me, the last few years, our identity has been we're slightly above average, if that's what you would call us. Like, <laughs> we're just like pretty good basketball players that are going to do everything relatively well, but not well enough to win a championship. Like, let's have something that we're the best. At. And if it means throwing out the biggest lineup in the country, like, let's at least be the best at being big and rebounding the heck out of the ball and blocking shots and rebounding and defending people. Like, let's at least be the best at that and have that identity and see where that can carry us over what I've seen the last couple of years. That's just my two cents, something I needed to get off my chest clearly. But that to me, identity is bigger than what the identity is at this point for Kentucky basketball. I completely agree, Brandon. I said it two podcasts ago. Our identity could be, do you know what? We're going to have two seven-footers. No one scores in the paint. We're going to have a bunch of five-star freshman guards. No one could beat our. No one could stop our guards off the dribble. We're going to beat everyone off the dribble, and no one scores in our paint. That's going to be our identity. Moving on, last segment, as we always do, is listeners' questions. These are people on Twitter who tweeted into our podcast and wants to hear our opinions on things. Friend of the show, Fables Burner, says, which NBA team with Kentucky basketball alumni reps are you rooting for the hardest in the playoffs? If it is the Kings, like most UK fans, what's the second team? Personally, I am the Kings. I've actually been a very big Kings fan since 2017 when they drafted De'Aaron Fox. And if I had to pick a second, I would pick the Lakers. My girlfriend, Christina, who's hopefully listening, is from LA, so fan of them. Brandon, who are you rooting for? I definitely would say the Kings as well, but since they have been removed from contention, I would probably tend to say the Suns. I've always been a Devin Booker fan. Um, I, I, I like 
I like rooting for a team where the Kentucky guy, even playing next to Kevin Durant, is arguably the best player on the floor. And we, like you know, we're seeing that with Devin Booker in some of these playoff games. Um, so that's something that you know excites me, and I think he has a really good chance to kind of even accelerate his stardom here in these playoffs. But yeah, I mean, heck, I've been a Kings fan since they first drafted or they first had Boogie back in the day. So I've been like waiting for this time. It's a different group of Kentucky guys, but at least we finally gotten here. So yes, I would actually have to say the Kings as well, but. If they're disqualified, let's go seven. All right. I'm going to go with, uh, I think it's an attempt at Kane Tucky, uh, at Kane Tuck one on uh, Twitter. Uh, nerd question incoming since there are four of you in four Hogwarts houses. Who would represent each house? And what house does Brandon Ramsey think he'd be sorted into? Well, because we're only answering one person per question, I get to sort the four of you myself. Oh. So I am the uh, most Hufflepuff person you'll ever meet. Uh, yep. And I don't think that that's a question at all. Um, I would put, oh, um, I probably put Sack in Gryffindor, wow. our fearless leader. Uh, Big Blue Bud is definitely going to be a Ravenclaw, very thoughtful person. And just from the chaotic energy alone, Bradley's like a kind-hearted Slytherin. <laughs> just like one of the guys that likes not really okay with all they stand for, but is like is there for the chaos. Uh, Brandon, I don't know if you know much about Harry Potter, but uh, if you do, which house would you put yourself in? Well, I actually happen to be a huge Harry Potter guy. Um, oh, fantastic. And, yeah, I, I mean, I know this is like the common guy answer, but I think of myself as a Gryffindor. I don't know if that's a <laughs> character flaw or a, like a character um, pro, but but yeah, I mean, I, I I would like to see myself as a Gryffindor. Bradley, keep it going. Nice. Uh, okay, I will go with at uh, Air Dobson. Why? Dang it! <laughs> and he said, <laughs> "Will? Yes, will." Buddy, it sounds like you wanted that question. What Listen, do you think I did want Will? that question. I'm going to take it as well because I don't see any <laughs> other questions. That One says, is Reeves coming back? And it's like, yeah, I think so. But I'm not the one to ask. But yeah, I was going to take Will because <laughs> this was a joke, I think. And none of us were going to answer the question. But at this point, oh. we were at pick, what, 20? And Will has still not been drafted, which we are recording, by the way, for context, as the draft uh, is happening. And dude, apparently not. The, the answer to your question. I'm going to have to disagree with Bradley and say no. I will not, not will. Will, <laughs> will and like won't. Yeah, will and. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> there is a negative contraction for the word will. It's won't. You don't have to say will and. <laughs> no, will and does not. <laughs> hey, hey guess, who's, guess whose favorite team is on the board at pick number 20 right now, though? Who is it? The Seattle Seahawks. Uh-oh. <laughs> you know how much I'll love it if they draft Levis. Yeah, at this point, <laughs> Brandon, we have a friend, Scott Clark, big friend of the big friend of the program, who is a Will Levis hater and a Seattle Seahawks fan. So we're kind of hoping he goes there just for shits and gigs. But Brandon, uh, I, I guess to expand on the Will question, what do you think his pro career looks like? There's so much variability there. Do you think he could be a stud? Do I think he could be a stud? Absolutely. Like, you know, it, it's the common comparison, but like. He's Josh Allen, I feel like, if things break right physically, 
traits wise, skill wise, like I think that's who he would become. But yes, there are question marks. Like there's there's some accuracy concerns. You know, he wasn't he didn't always perform the best in college. So will he necessarily translate to a professional career? Who knows? But I do think like if you're gonna take Anthony Richardson for, I just don't understand how Will Levis isn't here at twenty. Because to me, you're ba- you're basing both off of potential, and one had a productive college career, and the other one didn't really. So to me, that's the issue that I have. But anyway. well, Brandon, thank you so much for joining the show. Everyone, go read his stuff at KSR. Go follow him on Twitter at bramseyksr. Thank you all for listening. Talk to you all next Thursday, and go Pats. Superb follow. Farewell. He's a thanks, guys. Yep, enjoyed it. <laughs>